Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Gear up on all your FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and international gear. Check out the latest arrivals, including the FC Dallas pre-match pride top, the FC Dallas One Planet parlay jersey, and more. Third Degree listeners get 20% off with the code ThirdDegree, which should work on all that stuff, uh, at Soccer90.com. Some exclusions apply, but not on that good stuff. Get it all, Soccer90.com, 20% off code ThirdDegree. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast, episode numbered... 211, 211 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and joined by, yes, he is this close to the Premier League, Luton Town Hatter himself, Dan Crook. Come in, Dan. Hello, Dan. What a week. My heart can't take anymore. You've got to be but I'm gonna do it. so excited. I uh, just, you know, just, just need us to get over the line. Can't, can't fail now, right? Fantastic scenes at Kenilworth Road. You just, I, like I, you must be heartbroken that you're not there for it. It's. I saw some videos from outside people celebrating outside the stadium, and it was the first time in eleven years living in Texas that I felt homesick, even though I was just there two weeks ago. So, if you put any consideration into just saying screw it, breaking out a credit card, and getting a flight back to London so you can be there at Wembley against Coventry City. Uh, no, nah, they're all maxed out from the trip I just did. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like us to start a GoFundMe page? Yeah. Uh, well, by the looks of it, the 37,000 tickets we got on initial sale, there's like four of them left mm. uh, that went on sale this morning. So oh, I don't think there buddy. would be any chance of uh, that happening anyway. But you know what? I will. Uh, I will gladly watch the game on the 27th on ESPN plus uh, uh what is it gonna be 10 45 in the morning uh yeah whether that's uh, just on my own crying in my living room or uh with people uh be enjoying that day out for sure mm. we're rooting for you pal totally Appreciate rooting it. for you uh and there of course is your hero my hero everybody's hero editor founder of thirddegree.net and thief of other people's logos Mm. just kidding buzz carrot come in buzz yeah i'm the king of the satire uh parody bit and uh some people don't like that but i think it's funny yes if you don't understand what we're talking about buzz has created and is selling a t-shirt that that is a spinoff of the new world cup uh, branding logo that got released late last night. Yeah, it uh, happens to be our 26th season doing ma- this coverage of FC Dallas. So there's a nice big 26 on there and our logo, and we're celebrating third degree. So it's very cool. Uh, and it's very funny, and the logo's <laughs> awful. And I got a thousand questions how that came to be the way it is. But it's uh, so bad. That's the fun of it, is how bad it is. I mean, that's the joy. Well, I'm know. looking forward to 25 years in the future when everybody goes, Man, that is a classic design for a World Cup logo. It's so cool. I, I actually hope that uh, they, you know, quit this stupid stuff and go back to the traditional sort of logos, and that that one will look really stupid in the course of the history of our lives as we look back on the World Cup. but I did see uh, someone had compiled every every World Cup logo, and even the ones that look a little bit off in comparison, the recent ones are a bit too busy. 
you know, nothing's as nothing is as lazy as as that one. The closest <laughs> one would be uh, Mexico. Was it the ninety seventy World Cup when it was just a soccer ball and then Mexico underneath it? But it was in that iconic Bauhaus font. Uh, you know, it, it became in itself like a a great piece of design. Whereas this, somebody just lent on the uh, the little clone and shift buttons on on Photoshop, fell asleep, and somehow made money off of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I got a thousand questions, but my number one question is: How do you ever come to the decision to just s use an actual photograph of the World Cup trophy? On, I mean. Uh, like the design itself is is pretty shady, but to use an actual photograph to yeah. represent the trophy makes no sense from a design standpoint. Because that's all that was available in the free version of Canva. Well, you know, there's a version of the logo that has the trophy cut out. As a and silhouette, my, right. Yeah, my assumption is that, that whoever did it, did it as the cutout, but they used the photo when they made the cutout. And in the middle of that process, somebody said, we'll just turn the photo back on. And that's how we ended up with the photo. See, this know? is what I, and what I saw a lot today was uh, a use of that, the uh, of the standard image with uh, a lot of color and variation and changing up all of it. And, and this, is, I don't like that. I don't like recoloring of things. <laughs> this harkens back to the, when MLS changed their logo to the stupid kickstand thing we have today. And then they, kicked me in the nuts a second time by saying, oh, we're going to give every club their own version of this with their club colors in it, which was the yeah. second stupidest idea of all time. I just, man, just do yeah. logo design <laughs> properly, not for video or what. God, it's so aggravating. Just have a good logo and you'll be fine. You don't have to do all that recoloring. So. Yes, it's so silly. Uh, all right, sorry, logo talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if for those who don't like kit talk, I'm sure logo talk is even worse. Steve Davis skipped ahead for sure. Uh, all right. We will talk about the burn at this part of the podcast now, because uh, not only is this a victory pod buzz, but this is the double victory pod and related, by the way, I, this is something I learned this week related to the earlier uh, commentary about Dan's Luton town. It was this week that I learned <laughs> unbelievably that FC Dallas's wage bill is essentially $5 million more than Luton Towns. And that blew me away. Yeah, I, I don't... Does that surprise no, you? No, not really, no. No? Uh-uh. Did that surprise you, Dan? Yes. Uh, granted, I didn't really pay too much attention to what ours was, but even the fourth lowest in the championship, there's League Two clubs that are... I mean, I remember the last time I did a, a salary comparison, I think Accrington Stanley had a bigger wage budget than FC Dallas did at the time. And I think FC Dallas yeah. was like, you know, when it was when it was bare bones, when it was like four million. Um, but yeah, you, that's, you know, it, it feels bloated. And it's, you know, if you compare, compare it, and that's still only middle of the pack for MLS. Well, we'll get into the uh, salary dump headline that came out earlier this week here in a little bit. I just that was a side note related to how wonderful this week has been because Dallas did win both of their games, starting off with their road trip down to Austin, which I'm still confused by doesn't count towards the Copa Tejas Ooh. trophy idiocy. I'm so yeah. I, I'm sure somebody's going to explain it to me at some point, but it uh, anyway. Uh, it, it was. Uh, here's my big takeaway from uh, Dallas one Austin nothing. 
I don't know how in the span of, I don't know, six months, two teams that were so amazingly entertaining to watch, especially when they played each other, in the span of six months have become two really hard-to-watch teams. You, you didn't enjoy that game? No, I thought that was a terrible soccer mm. match. I thought it was sloppy. I thought Dallas, I, I thought, especially when Dallas had the man advantage, you could you could barely tell Dallas had a man advantage in that game. The good news is, is they looked so much better last night against Vancouver. Yeah. But no, I didn't think the Austin game was good at all. Well, the short answer to the trophy question is that the, the three teams don't play each other the same amount of times. So, you know, whatever they're doing is the balance. Stupid soccer Stupid league. Stupid Yep. So, uh, yeah, okay. So, Austin, for me, was really enjoyable because um, the last couple of games, Dallas has been bringing what I call a positive mindset to the field. Remember, mentality is the big buzzword this year from coach. And uh, we, we've seen a lot of games where Dallas has played on the road, their typical defensive shell, but with a negative mindset, a passive mindset, a waiting, sitting and waiting. Well, this wasn't that. So, like, yes, it's a road game. Yes, they're going in there to mid to low block and, and clog it up and not let Austin play. That makes for a not so pretty game. But for me, it's an exciting game because of the positivity, because you, you can defend in a positive on the front foot, aggressive manner. And they did that and they countered mm -hmm. quickly and transitioned quickly. Uh, you know, and it's a couple of guys who have not historically been, in my opinion, any good at all, had great games. And so there was a lot of joy and fun in that game, despite the fact it wasn't sexy. Yeah, how much did it hurt for you to uh, mm. proclaim man of the matches, Facundo? That was that was for me. That performance by him was so far out of whack from what he does normally. I was sitting there; it just blew me away. It is an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal performance on his part. If he played like that all the time, I would never say crap about him at all. I would I, I would be like that. You should start every game and play all game every game if you play like that. And it wasn't just that like he played a good defensive role and covered up his back four, which is what coach wants him to do. It's not that part. It's not that he received balls in positive positions. He always has done that. Hmm. He was more able to hit guys on the move because his teammates were moving again, positive mindset. But most importantly, there might've been 10 times or more when he jumped up into this other team's half into Austin's half and turned them back early in a progressive way and made them cycle back and reset and allowed his teammates to recover. That moment is the thing he never does. And it's the thing that I think is so important. And it's the thing that actually Edwin does really well. And all of a sudden Facundo was doing it. And as, when he has that component in his game, along with all those other things being on point, cause they're not always, it was just a complete game. You know, he was even getting sideline to sideline, which he never does. Usually he's stagnant and sits there. It was such a good performance. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who is this guy? It's not Facundo. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Did, did they get Grezzo back? It's ridiculous. It was so good. And then on top of that, your boy Obreon was lights out good. All right, uh, Dan, you get to break the uh, the tie here. Was, th was uh, that a good soccer match or not a good soccer match? It was a good end to a soccer match. Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a, a little bit tough to watch at times. You know, they're they're trying. You know, they're positioning this as as a rivalry as it goes on, and it kind of played out like that. There was, you know, a lot a lot of uh, 
a lot of choppiness, a lot of, you know, little little shitty digs and stuff, and um, chippy. That's the word I was looking for, not shitty. Um, <laughs> you know, you had that clash of heads first five minutes, legit with the uh, little elbow or whatever that gave Alex Ring that black eye. Uh, Redes and his, stu- his little stupid eight-minute um, spell in the second half. It wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, there was there was definitely some entertainment value to that. Um, you know, it, it, Paul, it was you know good to see Paul Ariola kind of having <laughs> a briefly positive uh, comeback. Uh, you know, he 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 definitely deserved a goal from the, the chances he had, and yeah, let's say I, I think. It was a good end to a football match, if nothing else. All right, I'm just. I guess I'm. I guess I'm a little bit surprised at the reaction to the game, based on the fact that Dallas played so much of the match with a man advantage and seemed it. It almost seemed like it, it could never figure out how to take advantage of that. Now, luckily, they did at the end, and all turned out well. I'm just surprised you guys aren't more critical of how that game played out. Well. I think, Especially, let me also say this yeah, yeah. based on the fact that I have no idea what in the world has happened to Austin. <laughs> that that the difference between Austin now and six months ago, it's like two completely different teams. They're it's weird how bad they've gotten. They've gotten and how bad they've gotten so quickly. Well, for me, I thought with Austin, I thought Ring is a really good player, and instead of leaving in the midfield, they now play him at center back, and that's part of their problem um, on a small way, but. I think, and Peter, I always talk about context, right? So for me, I get a lot of enjoyment when when I see this team playing poorly and playing badly like they were two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then for them right a ship and get it going in the right direction and see positive changes and guys playing above where they had been. Those things make me happy. Those things, I get joy from watching a game where that happens. Okay. In this, in this game, Dallas, da- Dallas this season, they are who they are. This is the way they play. And so when I see them execute that in a good way, I find it enjoyable. Now, I don't find it to be pretty or beautiful or like like it's not soccer that makes my heart sing, you know. <laughs> but it 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 does make me ex- you know you know, it's just I the get way it. I cover this team, right? It's it's that it's like it's I talk about the pathway to the pros. Like I get a lot of fun and enjoyment out of watching guys become the pros. I think they'll be, you know. So it's the same sort of way, you know. I say the team climbing up the standings, getting towards the best of the rest, as we call them right now, you know. It's pretty exciting times. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I would say uh, when I, as I was falling asleep from watching this game, I was frustrated by the performance. I was glad of the result, but frustrated by the performance. What happened last night uh, up here against Vancouver went a long way to making me feel better about the direction of this team. But after the Austin game, I was still kind of running along that same thread that we've been talking about over the last few weeks about, yeah. man, this team just looks a little bit like it's not firing on all cylinders. Well, um, a lot of that, Peter, is home versus road. Sure. You yeah, For, that's fair. Yeah. It's not just the home field advantage. It's just that Austin wants to come out gang blazing. Like why they don't, why they didn't low block, which is the one game they've won against Dallas. That's right. the playoffs when they low blocked. Yeah. <laughs> why they don't just do that and try and win the game is beyond me. It's the opposite of what Dallas does. You know, so Dallas plays differently on the road anyway. So it's not just home field advantage, it's the way they change the whole style. Not the whole style, but pretty dramatically change the way they do things. So the Vancouver game at home is the good home version. Austin's the good road version, if you will, of what they do these days. 
Well, there was one particular thing that happened in the game that I I was enjoying, and I'll get to that in a second because it will lead into last night's game. But we should also mention that on the bad side of the Austin victory was the fact that there was a trio of injuries. Areola got hurt. Legette got hurt. Uh, Giovanni got hurt. What are the statuses of those guys? I'm I'm kind of reading between the lines that the Areola thing may be a long-term situation. Well, that sounds like it. They, they had all MRIs on all those guys, and then they haven't really talked about it um, since then, um, you know, in terms of the, the how lower long it's body be. injury. Well, Paul and Legette are both quads, uh, and Giovanni's a hamstring. Um, you know, Paul, Paul now in the last month has gone through a hamstring problem, a groin problem, and now a quad problem, probably all related. You know what I mean? I'm not a doctor, but those things are all hip bone connected to the leg bone, all that stuff. So, um, He's been struggling for a while. Jet, I couldn't even tell you what happened to him other than the when they came out of the game, subbed him out. They were a little worried about him, uh, but they haven't talked about him much since then. And then Giovanni was again when they subbed him out because he had a little bit of a hamstring tightness. So um, they all were held out of that game. So we'll see who gets cleared for this week. I mean, we really don't know. They're being, being pretty mysterious about it, to be honest, um, which is why you saw so much rotation on Wednesday, obviously, versus Vancouver. Uh, I was tempted to ask in the uh, press conference last night for an update on, on it all. I th- kind of figured, now nah, maybe that's better to leave for the uh, media availability. I didn't realize it was going to be tomorrow instead of today. So uh, Good yeah, going, Dan. We'll, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll find out. Um, I did see Paul in the locker room. He you know, seemed in good spirits and that. So, um, I mean... Like Buzz said, that that all sounds really connected. Maybe he's trying to push himself back too hard. He's overcompensating on, you know, other parts of the leg. And, uh, you know, he's just got to take a minute. The other injury that they're worried about was the uh, Jesus Jimenez injury. who broke his hand. And there was some concern about whether he would need surgery or not. But they did an MRI and then they just put him in a cast. So it sounds like that cost is massive. I'm sure it is, but they must assume that he doesn't need the surgery and he can just play through it. So he is available. He was on the bench. Is it like like his mom taped a bunch of pillows to his hand (laughs) so he can play in the game? It's it's not too dissimilar. Um, But he's (laughs) he's got a like, it looks, it looked like his thumb and a couple of his fingers were kind of stuck out in a certain direction. So maybe there was some, you know, some issue, like, you know, not just like his hands in the form of the shocker or something. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't too far off to be fair. Um, No, I I just wonder if, you know, some, you know, a lot of times players can play through a broken hand. I know it came up in, in, in discord, but you know, if it's something that can affect his kind of his like fine motor abilities, then you obviously uh, you want want to treat that very cautiously. And the fact that they had, you know, different fingers splinted in in places, um, there's obviously something delicate going on there. Crazy. Well, uh, and just to prove that I can point out the good things uh, every once in a while, the uh, watching Hayes. Well, first off. The pass from Ensebling was fantastic. But seeing Jesus finish uh, to win that game in Austin and then celebrate the way that he did, man, that just <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that just warmed my heart to no end. My, my Dallas burn heart was just all excited about that. I thought that was fantastic. You can tell that Jesus feeds off of some of that spice and hears, you know, particularly the Texas fans because he's – now done that sort of celebration with Austin and with Houston. You remember last year when he celebrated and they were all throwing beers and cups at him and whatever. And oh, that's right. That yeah. Down in the end zone, they got a little throwing back sort of happening. That was a little rough. 
Uh, so he definitely feeds off of those crowds sometimes, I think Jesus does. Uh, yeah, so Seeking Assemblings had back-to-back, I mean, maybe even go three straight, because uh, he had a sub-appearance where he had an assist to. Uh, great appearance, appearances now, and it's playing really well. Uh, a little more advanced in this one, in the Vancouver one, playing as a, as a higher player with two, a double pivot behind him versus the awesome one where he came in and it was more of the usual single pivot. So um, good on Seeky for doing good things. He, he might be really starting to make a case for himself that he maybe should start. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Siki said in locker room uh, yesterday, he was asked, uh, Garrett had asked him about, you know, playing a little bit higher up the field than normal. He was like, well, no, I mean, in my youth and college career, that's where I played. That's actually more comfortable. It's it's more of an adaptation when I play further back. So it's kind of uh, nice to see that side of his game more. Yeah. Well, I will say if um, I don't know who will deserve the credit, but if somehow they're able to power uh, Ensebling into a legit regular MLS midfielder, uh, somebody's gonna uh, get need a bonus for that from plucking him out of whatever college they pulled him from in his career, because uh, you know he clearly has a whole bunch of skill sets, and uh, more than anything else, he's got the drive that I love to see in a player. He just tends to overdo it a little bit here and there. Buzz, I think you and I have talked about how he yeah. just like he he's so skillful that he almost feels like he can't do something without skilling the ball a little bit instead of just passing it or moving forward. But if they can fix that in him, I think there's a there's a, a nice little player in there, and somebody should get like a Christmas card for it. Well, it really shows up defensively where he overreaches because he's not quite, as Dan said, not quite comfortable there. You know, he, he came out of first Coastal Carolina and then Oregon State, which are not necessarily programs that you go, oh yeah, grab guys from there, um, four year college player. But yeah, he he's definitely learning defensively to contain himself a little bit. And he did get a little winded, you know, 65, 70 minutes. I was like, okay, oops, he's wearing out. Let's start thinking about taking him out. You know, not because he was poor, just because you can see these guys start to flag a little and he is a high intensity player. He's not used to starting. So it's not, it's not a criticism. Just, just to, you know, that like, if you wanted to beat him more consistently in games, you'd have to really start trying to ramp up his minute level over the next couple of games to try and get him up to that level. You know, the fact that he's playing at a level where we're not at all worried about Paxton or, or Legette being out, that's just – that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, that's college scouting from Marco Ferruzzi runs the college scouting department, you know, and whoever else took a look at him at Oregon State when he was at the end of his career and where he was mostly playing as a wing, although he would drift underneath all the time too. He plays wing kind of like um, Velasco does in the sense of outside, inside, outside, inside. So – uh, not not a hardcore run the line kind of guy. Well, Mr. Feruzzi has earned himself an Amazon gift card on the behalf of the Hunts. If, <laughs> if that's who, if that's who yeah. uh, is deserving of it. Uh, now that's going to save for the one comment that leads into the Vancouver win last night, two to one over Vancouver in uh, in Frisco. Is and I I gotta admit it. I this has caught my eye. Um, I was confused by it a little bit in Austin, and last night it. It actually made me kind of happy, but I'll be damned if Hot Air Obreon isn't actually showing us a little bit of something over the course of the last two games. And and I'll even go so far, he was really good last night as far as Obreon goes. Well, you remember three weeks ago, I told you he was lights out in training and everyone laughed at me. Well, now you're seeing it. He's He brought what that what, what he was doing in training. He brought that to these last two games. So credit to him. 
you know, the, the Austin FC one was good, but this one was really good. The goal, the first, he made that first goal. Yes. It was absolutely oh phenomenal. Oh my God, his work for that was incredible. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And but he, but even before then, Buzz, he yeah. had a couple of moments where he played the right pass in the box and, and it just didn't, and, and something didn't get turned out on it. Like I, like his decision-making has gone from awful to consistently good in the course of yep. like a week and a half. Yeah, the beginning of the year, he was completely out of sorts with how to play with this current group. And I don't know whether it was him, you know, because he was around last year. So, like, maybe something they changed didn't click for him. But, you know, like I said, three weeks ago, it started, I started noticing in training that he was more on page and he was more dialed in and the decisions are more appropriate. And he was starting to get lots of goals in training. And you can see it in these two games the runs are better, the timing is better, the interactivity with other players is better. Yeah. The passes he's making are, are, are more connected and more. Uh, it's not just that the passes are connecting, it's they're connecting in positive ways, like on the move. Like he has, he had the most shot creating actions, I think in both games, the last two in a row. So he's playing tremendously. And he still managed to miss a setup, but still have a good game. <laughs> he's still over on. He did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not the finisher we all want him to be. No, no. But there was so much to his game last night in Van uh, against Vancouver that was just really, like, you know, I've said forever, he's like Dallas's version of a cowbell, and where it's just this thing hanging out there needlessly again that doesn't make sense with everything else, but he's really playing within the team over the course of these two games, last night in particular, and it was a delight to see because – you know he tr he works really hard, and I love that in any player. Um, but I, you know, it was great. It's lovely to see. Yeah, it is. So uh, as we said, Dallas two, Vancouver one, and I guess we should start with the the bad part, which is uh, how Dallas ended up giving up the goal. Which is, look, it's just a mistake, right? It's just yeah. a, it's just one of those things that happen. It happens at every level. Um, I guess the real uh, uh, takeaway out of it is that Dallas was able to overcome it and win the game. Well, we've talked about this before. The, the Paz's relative weak spot is his feet. It's the reason he's not in Europe anymore. But uh, the the takeaway, the important part is that both he that he took responsibility for it after the game. It's my bad. And that the team didn't fold. A lot of times in the past, we've seen versions of this team where a mistake like that would cause a team to fold and not be able to really recover, especially against Vancouver, who's been a bogey team for this club since like 2018 now. Um, for the team to show some resiliency and and be like, hey, no problem, dude, we got your back, and to, and to continue to play and to come back and get the goals was uh, – th th those are the takeaways. Those are the signs that, that are positive about the team and the mentality, again, mentality – uh, and, and make you feel like uh, the team is in the place it's supposed to be in the standings, that these kinds of moments, when you don't let these things tear you down, are why this team's in third and not in eighth. Well, Vancouver had yet to win on the road, and uh, luckily they, uh, you know, they're Vancouver. But to be able to get that win last night after going down one nothing on such a, a terrible uh, self-inflicted wound and do it missing the four starters, three starters. I can't remember how many. Because how you define starters, but yeah, I mean that's that's a big deal. Yeah, you know, when you anytime you rotate, you know, nearly roughly nearly half your team, whether it's for injury or for rehabbing reasons, um, you have to be really excited when the the play doesn't fall off, particularly at home, um, and, and you you can maintain your method of play, you can maintain your style of play. 
you know, it doesn't fall apart. There have been times where uh, even just like what, three or four games ago when they did the, that road game and they played that wanky ass formation and the thing fell apart from the get go. And we mm-hmm. said at the time that that was the formation and the selections that just wrecked it. You know, the teams obviously knew it wasn't going to work and they played like it wasn't going to work. Whereas these ones, they played a familiar shape in a familiar way and they slotted in people in the same positions that they're supposed to play and then the same kind of players in the same positions, you know, they know how to play that way. They know how to work that way. You can't just haphazardly change crap and expect it to be good. You got to have a methodology to what you're doing. And these, this game in particular showed that Dallas does. So when the lineup came out and we found out that Paxton had been uh, sat, is he injured? Is it just a rest? Do we know? It's rest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, the midfield three of Ensebling, Cerillo, and Facundo, uh, you, you, your tweet reaction to it was a bit of a surprise. How did that end up playing out tactically in the game? Well, yeah, the way they drew it in the formation was the same 4-3-3 that Dallas always plays. And you looked at that and thought Facundo is a 6 and Evan is an 8. That's, wow, that's crazy. We have seen... Edwin six with Facundo as an eight. They have played that way before, but that's not what happened in this game. It was a double pivot. Facundo and Edwin played side by side, and Siki was more of a free 10. Even for a lot of the game, he was drifting up high, almost next to Jesus, and they were almost taking turns, dropping back too much for my liking. He got too high, and Jesus got too far back. But uh, definitely more of a 4-2-3-1, the way Oscar used to play all the time. That's the double, well, in this case, two double holders, you know, taking turns, having a little bit of a, eight type role, but for the most part, staying pretty home at home. Uh, let's see. So I thought what was impressive was Dallas's domination of the game through possession and passing. And the fact that they were playing with so many uh, backups, especially, uh, you know, throughout sprinkled throughout the team, that was really good where I do think it got a little interesting and I'm interested and I am curious as to your reaction as to how Estevez handled the fact they now had a two, one lead after Jesus's fantastic uh, brace and uh, attempted to hold on for dear life, the three points. Well, the first thing they did was shift to a three, four, three, which I, I hated. Um, they brought on a center back. And at that point, the two wings that were on were two wings that are not, sorted to play a 3-4-3. To play a 3-4-3 properly, the two wings move inside and play narrow. And you almost have a box behind your high striker. And then your wingbacks take up all that width on the outside. Well, the two guys at that time, I believe, without looking, I think it's Camungo and Obreon. Well, those are the wrong guys for that. Those are the wrong guys for that shape. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And for about five or 10 minutes or whatever it was, it was not good. And then they made another adjustment and they brought off, I believe it was Jesus for Junka. And Juca is able to go in and shift that formation around and made it more of a 5-4-1, which is a much more defensive shape than a 3-4-3 is and a much more stable shape. And it leaves your high guy on, a, on an island, but that high player was, you know, variations of um, whoever was around, I think was still in the game, and Kamuga was still in the game. That better fits them trying to get over the top and long, but you have this much more stable 5-4 behind you to try and close the game down. So... The original adaptation was bad, but then they shortly after that spun it around. It may it may have only been, yeah, it was 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes on, based on the timing of the sheet because uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good at first. Dan, did Dallas get lucky they didn't give up the three points? No, I thought they, uh, I didn't like uh, that it was like, you know, 15 minutes under the cosh, but uh they they adapted well to everything Vancouver did. Vancouver were playing 
pretty much a flat floor up front at one point, um, just trying to bomb balls over the top to Casado and the twenty nine. Um, yeah, I thought I thought the use of the 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 wide mids or, or wings was smart. Junker played fantastic um, in in his moments, made a couple of big challenges, um, and Bernie too. Uh, Bernie won a couple hmm. of vital free kicks. Made some great stops down, um, you know, track him back, uh, especially with Casado on that side, um, you know, and you know, with with uh, Emma there, sometimes you have to have that little bit of extra cover because he'll get a little bit aggressive in chasing the ball, um, you know, uh, coast in the middle uh, with, with the the twenty nine on him. Uh, there was a there was a moment where he had a point blank header off a ball over the top and Kosi was able to kind of just pressure enough that it wasn't like a you know he wasn't able to get everything behind it but it was you know still a six yard header that Paz had to to stand up tall to so uh no I, th- I thought they managed it well I thought it was you know coaches adjustments were great I thought the the effort was was fantastic um you know this isn't the Vancouver of old. This isn't the the hopeless team. This is the team that has not lost uh, a game up until now to FC Dallas since uh, twenty eighteen, and and hasn't lost a game in Frisco up until last night since twenty sixteen. Oh, there's a fun fact for you. <laughs> yeah, I have to give Garrett uh, Melser some credit because he tweeted out this. What well, I think is a stunning stat: Jesus has got eight goals this year. Five of them are game winners. Wow. That, that's a spectacular wow. rate of impact and value. Uh, and I had noticed during the week that his goal efficiency is like, he's damn near uh, 30 to 40% like uh, goal to shot on goal ratio. It's like astronomically high. It's just clinical as hell this year. Give Question. Me, another uh, little hat tip for Garrett. Uh, FC Dallas has won three, uh, four games at home. Three of those have been come from behind wins. Wow. That is impressive. All right. So I'm going to ask you guys this question because I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Who was the last player to score for Dallas that was not Jesus Ferreira? Bernie, right? Uh, That sounds right. In the RSL game? Uh, Who scored in the New York City game? I'm looking it up right now because that was the last... Uh, Martinez. No, Martinez. Martinez. Martinez scored. Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess the reason why I'm asking the question is because it's fantastic to see Ferreira in this form. And uh, two goals last night, both of which were interesting because the first goal, uh, the great ball from Obreon, kind of an odd bounce for off of uh, Jesus, but the finish was so good. And then, uh, and then I thought the second goal, Buzz, was really a great piece of work of pressing by Dallas as a team. There's, it, there's, you know, Jesus' finish is very solo, but the teamwork yeah. to get to that point I thought was outstanding. Oh, yes. Seeking and Settling did just boatloads of work on that second goal to make that one happen. This is why, like, it's a little bit of a disservice when, you know, you, the, the hype for Jesus having two goals. Granted, two terrifically taken goals – man of the match, but it undersells the amazing work that O'Brien did to create the, create the first goal and the amazing work Siki did to create the second goal. Now, granted, it's a team game. I get all that, but you know, the, the, the creation of those goals uh, was invaluable. The two effort those guys put in, the individual efforts that put in on those plays was, yeah. it was top tier 
Now, granted, Jesus is finishing as clinical as always. There was another chance he had where he a ball came into his feet and he didn't even trap it at all. He just one timed it and he missed the post by about two inches. You know, he's just at his absolute very best when it's either a no trap, it's just a shot one time, or maybe it's one very light touch and then a shot. That's when he's at his absolutely best finishing, mostly on the move. So it's like when, when Jesus is stagnant or when he's drifting way out or way back and out of the box, it's just it just takes apart everything they're doing. Which he tried to do too much for the first 15 minutes or so. He was trying to overcompensate for Sebastian and Paxton being gone. He was back next to Sebling and he was out on the wing gesturing at people. And I was like, dude, get get in the box. You're the only guy on this team that can finish. Get in the box. You know, I'm not saying be a high nine. I'm just saying be yourself. And so the right. last 60 minutes of the game, he was, and he was phenomenal. Yeah, I thought uh, on the second goal, his little uh, misdirection touch to put it back in the right position for him to uh, slot oh, yeah. it to five hole. The keeper was fantastic. And he took just that one extra little touch. He needed yeah. to kind of unbalance everybody. Uh, it was, it was top notch. But I, the question that I do want to ask is that uh, considering the run that he is on that dating back to April, you know, the only other people on this team that have scored are um, as we said, uh, Martinez and Kamungo. And then, of course, Quinones scored in the game against Portland. He is pretty much the entire offense at this point. And I'm wondering, is that a problem? Yeah. Well, Velasco missed a month. Um, Ariola, we know, is a mess, and now he's hurt. Legette is a mess, and now he's hurt. You know, Paxton, the, the one weakness he has is the, the final assist or the shot or the goal, which he's not getting, that the Siki is. Uh, you know, there's definitely some issues with the collective offense on this team. You know, there's a reason why Jesus is an MVP caliber player and MVP discussion player, because if you don't have him, we don't see enough out of Jimenez to make us think he could do it. Mulatto's nowhere close to being able to do it at this level yet. So if, if you if you were to lose him or sell him even worse right now, if, if, if Napoli comes in with 12 or 15 and he's gone in the summer, man, alive, this team will just go from third place to last place in about five minutes unless you're able to replace him with somebody of equal caliber. Well, with the result uh, of both of those games, Dallas now pushes themselves out of fourth place. They're up to third, and lo and behold, Buzz, as weird as this sounds, they are a mere two points out of first place uh, with a game in hand, no less. Seattle has played 13 games and has 23 points. LAFC has a game in hand on Dallas on 22 points, and Dallas has played 12 and has uh, 21 points. Uh, well, not you bad. You got to remember that St. Louis lost their striker. You know they were undefeated until he got hurt. Right. So he'll come back. He'll they'll be good again. LAFC is currently distracted by the Champions League that they're about to win. Right. So Seattle also was in that and is also really good. So I I, I get that this is they what we talk about. They lost to Austin, Buzz. They, they did, suck. They did, they did. They did. Well, that's the thing we talk about this team, right? We, we have reasons that we, we talk about all the time that we think this team is not of the caliber of LAFC in Seattle yet. But we'd say also that they're the best of the rest. They have the ability to grind out points at mm -hmm. home and the road. It isn't pretty. It's not beautiful. A lot of it is down to Jesus. You know, it's Jesus is in fourth, third place. By, not mm -hmm. by himself. It's a team game. I get that. But like nothing else is working the way you would want it to work yet. The offense isn't there. The defense is slightly worse than last year. You know, there's been guys that have been hurt in that shape. Guys are getting a little bit older in that space. You know, it's not 
of the same caliber, and yet they're doing great things in the Sandy. They're getting results. Well, that uh, takes us to another Texas Derby match. They play Houston. It is down in Houston, isn't it? No, it's yes. here. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. no, that's right. It is here. That's right. So there, uh, Houston comes to town. The Dynamo are in town this weekend. Uh, Buzz, what are we looking forward? How are you feeling like the rotation works out for Houston? Well, that's an excellent question. I, they have not yet updated the injury list. So we'll assume that the injuries are bad enough that those same three guys are missing. Uh, Jesus, Giovanni Jesus, Paul Ariola, and Sebastian Legette. I would imagine you won't get them back. But Paxson will be back. Um, I would think that Nikosi will keep a spot because he's just, he's back in and he's a little bit younger. And since you rotated in Martinez midweek, I think you'll rotate him out and bring Ibiaga back in this weekend. Um, I think there's no reason Farfan looked a little brighter, so there's no reason not for, for him to keep a spot. But I think any of us would be perfectly fine if he were to choose to rotate in Junka because Junka's been playing quite well. I didn't. I don't. I didn't watch. Plus, it's his old team. It is his old team, but it's not like it's you know the team that developed him. I mean, they drafted him, but it's not. There's not like hard feelings there or anything. It's still. It wouldn't shock me if you rotate him. But what I'm saying is, I I didn't watch last game and go, oh, Farfan needs a game off. So you you could go either way. You could like start Farfan and bring Junk in at 60 or something, and it would be perfectly fine in terms of rotation. No Giovanni, so Ima has to go again. So you know, whoever sits might have to come in for Ema instead of um, Junka or, or Farfan on the other side. That's the biggest question is like how long is Giovanni out and how much can you burn up Emma trying to play him 90 minutes all the time. But um, I think that they'll probably, given the way Facundo's playing, they'll stick with Facundo, bring Paxson back in with Ensebling, and the front line will be the same. It'll be Velasco, um, Jesus Ferreira, and Obreon. There's no reason not to just keep playing those guys. You know, you have ways to mitigate their workloads if things are going the way you want them to. You know, you got Jimenez to come in. You got um, Bernard to come in. You got, you know, pieces that you can shuffle and, and make it work just as they have every, every game, really. Hmm. All right. That game is at 730 this Saturday uh, up in Frisco, and it is not one of the free games on Apple TV. Uh, they will finish out May with the big road trip out to California to face off against Lucci Ball in San Jose. That game will air at 930 Dallas time. And again, it is not listed as one of the free games. So good, exciting times coming up on the field. And uh, for a schedule that we thought looked pretty dodgy, Dallas has navigated it quite nicely so far uh, for the month of May. Yeah, this is the month of the heavy workload, and they've managed to rotate in and, and get guys half games off or full games off, and it's made a big difference in terms of maintaining your quality over the month. All right, we'll talk about the salary, uh, the biannual salary reveal here in just a second. I think it's probably important to get to this other piece of news first, as it will relate to that, which is uh, Dallas looks to be getting back a couple of their loan players. Uh, Justin Che appear is not going to get bought by Hoffenheim. I think that is... Well, I mean, and then and and Dante Seeley is probably coming back from Europe too. But the reason why the Che thing for me, Buzz, is it is important and I'm not sure people are thinking about this is I really wonder how much Dallas was counting on Che getting sold to help power purchases in the future. Yeah, in case anybody missed it, Hoffenheim said that they're not going to buy him and that, and that he's gone to the U20 World Cup and that after that he'll just come back to Dallas. He they won't he won't go back to Hoffenheim. Um I I know uh or I hear or I understand that Dallas is relatively low on 
the Tam and Gam funny money that they would need to make a summer move. And they were kind of hoping that Che would bring in some money on that. But at the same time, it also looks like Reynolds might possibly get sold and there's a kick on. Richards could get transferred and it could be a kick on. Uh, Pepe could get transferred and there's a kick on. All that stuff will trickle down and get Dallas more of that funny money. The trick is, when will that stuff come in? Will they have enough in order to do something this summer? They're, they're, right now, Ariel is the third DP. If you want him to not be the DP, you need about a million dollars in GAM to buy him down. This is I know this is all stupid rules and no one cares. but So the point being is that you probably can't bring in a DP this summer. You probably can only bring in what we call a TAM signing, which is the same caliber as Martinez, maybe down towards, if you want to do it, or Facundo, like an $800,000 player, maybe down to like a $600,000 player that neck of the woods, right? Mm-hmm. At the worst, highest level, you might could go up to a million, like a legit level of salary. But even to do that, you still need a chunk of TAM, and I'm not sure they have a lot left. So I'm not convinced if Che is coming back that they will have enough money to buy this summer a player of that caliber. They might have to just get a mid-tier player or just sort of wait, uh, which is weird. I know that we've been talking a long time about being able to get somebody. And I, I believe me, I can't quote the actual totals with people. I just have heard from people I know that that's kind of where the situation was. That was part of why they didn't go get a center back at the start of the season. You know, they only have three that are really capable of starting. The other two are project players. You know, three that can start is not enough. You want four that can start. So that's clearly an issue. And, they, and, they, my, and my read is that, A, it was hard to find one, and B, they didn't have enough money for one. So they still may not have enough money for one. And that's the thing that brings us back to the salary structure thing, because I look at that thing and I'm like, oh, man, I see some problems yeah. on it. Well, before we get into that, I want to talk a few minutes about Che and Seeley and yeah. what this means for them individually, because... You know, I was critical. I'll just speak for myself. I was a little bit critical that Justin had pushed so much for this move because it just, I didn't feel like, I, I think it was pretty easy to predict that he was not going to end up being a Hoffenheim senior team player anytime soon. And he could have been getting starting time in Dallas when they clearly needed a, a player of his qualities and potential at that position. Um, and Hoffenheim wasn't even playing him like in their reserve team down on the whatever lower division that is in Germany, which really makes you wonder about what his, his growth path has been and where he is in terms of form and everything. Yeah. Uh, And then that also asks a whole bunch of questions about Dante Seeley and why things didn't work out better for him uh, in Europe and what that means for them being added to this roster. Are they like, where do they fit in in this team? Are they even good enough? Well, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot in that. So, um, Che got in January got promoted to the first team full time and then was made a couple of benches but didn't get in any games and then he got hurt and he was out for an extended period and after he came back he didn't make any appearances for the first team so he never got in with the first team other than maybe like a cup or something that doesn't count um and then he started to get a, he got like a couple of reserve team games after he came back from injury but that was like they're running out of time and basically they're like you know time was up for him and he went to the U20 World Cup and they basically don't want him. But they were mostly using him as a right back. And whether you like him as a right back or center back depends on how willing you are to play a 19-year-old as a center back, probably. Now, Dante Seeley, over the last two months or so, has maybe played in two or three games for the reserve team. He's got one goal on the whole year, so it's not going 
for PSV Jung, which is their well, it's basically on our 23 team kind of slash reserve team. So he's not playing really a lot for them either. So we don't know for sure that he's coming back, but it seems like it. Now, both of those guys are very talented. They're both players with potential to be really, really good. <clears throat> Excuse me. But if they're going to come back to Major League Soccer and they're going to be involved, their mentality has got to be there. This is not a criticism of them. They're both phenomenally talented. But you have to want to be here and you have to do the work. This coach in particular likes warriors, right? He likes guys that grind. He likes guys that bring it hard every day in training. So these are two young guys you're talking about, 119 and 120. They're both guys that don't necessarily, and this is not a negative, everybody's different. Ryan Hollingshead got traded out of here fast. Same thing. He didn't crush it in training every day. It's just not, there's a different kind of players. They're not everybody's like, not everybody's Paxton who tries to kill himself in training every day. So <laughs> if you're going to work your way into this team, you're going to have to come back and impress this coach. You know, you're going to have to try and do it over the back half of a season. He doesn't necessarily like younger, inexperienced players. You know, these guys are going to have to look at perhaps playing for North Texas when they come back, right? I mean, if Chase it right back, he's third when he walks in the door. At center back, he's at least fourth, if not further, because Nolan's been playing really well because he's been here, you know. And Corsa got in a game the other day. So in terms of roster fit, Che can be on the uh, reserve roster, which is better for him. Dante Seeley, however, because of his salary, has to fit on the senior roster. That's tough. You know, it may be that one or both of them walk in the door and are instantly loaned full-time to North Texas on the books. You know what I mean? They might trade with SC Dallas every day, but they're not going to be on the books necessarily because of the cap and money and roster slots and all that garbage. Hmm. So it's while both of these guys are phenomenal talents, if both of them buy in and want to be here and want to work – Man, I'm excited for those guys to be here because they're both super talented. But that's aren't those aren't givens, and it's not a given that they're going to walk in the door and be able to start or play right away. This coach ain't like that. Now they're both really good, so maybe they will walk in the door and kill it and be right in the mix. We'll see. But the odds are long that that's going to happen because that's not the way this guy does things, right? You've watched this team enough with this coach to know that. So it's going to be an interesting question and. It's uh, most of it's gonna be down to the two young men themselves, whether they want to be here, you know, and maybe their agents will even work out some of their loans for them or something. You never know. Well, that takes us to the biannual reveal of the salary dump done by the Players Association. And once again, I have to say, I'm I'm delightfully surprised year by year to find out that the hunts are spending I, I, the idea that we're in a world where the hunts are spending fifteen million dollars on player salaries continues to uh, surprise and delight. Well, there's a couple of problems on this roster. That I didn't say they were me. spending it well. <laughs> Just the fact that they're willing to spend it delights me, Buzz. Well, Jesus's number was what I expected. Ariel was, was like much higher than I expected. Velasco is about what I expected. Jimenez is what we knew from coming from Toronto. The one that was the biggest head scratcher was Legette because they had him on a almost similar number last year. And then they extended him for three years at the age of 30. And usually when you do that, you get a buy down. There ain't no buy down, man. His number went up. Mm. It's like, so now you have legit on a million for three years at the age of 30. Now Duran, that dude keeps himself fit. I get that. But look what he looks like right now. He does not look like a guy that's dealing well with being 30. Now, granted, a lot of that might be the head space, 
Obviously, there's a declining value because the Becky G factor is no longer there for the marketing purposes. So you wonder about all that stuff, you know, and a lot of this stuff that like I look at here and I see numbers I want to get rid of that. I that you know, you think, oh, if you want to improve this team, you got to get out of these contracts. Man, these are not as contracts. Facundo, Martinez, you know, O'Brien to a certain extent. The Jimenez trade, you're going to have him on a million next year. If you get, if you have to eat his whole salary again, we'll find out whether they do or not. You know, Ariola is now up near damn near two million when he gets his guaranteed monies in there. You know, you really hand, they've really handcuffed themselves in a lot of ways. Granted, there's four or five contracts you could get rid of this winter that are that would get you a couple of mil to make me do some stuff. But man, some of these other ones I worry about. You know, the the biggest one is. I like Sebastian Legette, but a million a year in this league for a guy that's going to be in his 30s to me is, you know. <laughs> Especially as meh as he's played this season. You know, the, the, the back end of last season was great. Don't get me wrong. But it, it, the, the older you get, the harder it is to reproduce that, as we're witnessing. You know, so it makes me nervous. <laughs> Who, who's the worst deal on Dallas's books? Well, that depends on how you value players. I mean, I think you can make a case that Jets is, but um, for me, it's Facundo because I don't think he's any better than Edwin and he gets paid 700 grand more. Martinez is actually in line with where his ability. Um, Ibiaga's is a lot more than I thought it would be. Ibiaga has um, not big time starter, but has somewat starter money at, at, like, at 500 something, which was higher than I expected. Um, no, is that what it is? How much is that? Yeah, five hundred yeah. something. So it's like Martinez it, is is on more than him. He's on seven hundred. Yeah, I mean that's okay for Martinez. I sort of buy that. You know, Ibiaga being starter money kind of confused me. You know, um, the the worst one for me is that Hedges is only on seven hundred with Toronto, and I'm like, oh my god, I would have happily given. Unless I know Hedges is in his thirties, I know he gets banged up. He's not available, but so was Martinez. So it's like if you're gonna have seven hundred thousand on center back, give me Hedges and not Martinez or Ibiaga, you know, I'd have happily given Hedges 700 for three years and let it tick down instead of up, you know, perhaps part of that would have been rewarding him as a player. But, you know, I, I get that. I, listen, I, I was one of the first people that said, I totally understand the money move. Well, that's when I thought you were talking about a million or a million two. Right. Not, not half that, you know, at half that I would have happily kept him. So, yeah, that was know. that was curious to me too. I was very surprised Matt's not on a million bucks. Yeah, and, and maybe I misunderstand how all of this works, but I also am beginning to wonder how uh, paying all those Canadian taxes, not being a Canadian citizen, uh, affects that number as well too. Because I I gotta think that's way yeah. more expensive than I, being an American citizen working in Texas. Yeah, there could be you know years there. Maybe it's an escalator. Maybe they're like, we'll give you seven maybe. in year one, but then it's one point six in year two. I mean, I don't know what the deal, his deal is. Obviously, I just know the number now. And I say seven hundred for Hedges or seven hundred for Martinez. I'll take Hedges ten out of ten. All right, yeah. Dan. Who's? Uh, I'm assuming you've looked into this uh, enough to answer this question. What's the best bargain on the books for Dallas, Dan? Uh, it is absolutely clearly. Uh, I mean, to me, Seeky at eighty-five. You know, you've got an off-roster spot, a guy's not making a whole lot, and he's contributing pretty big right now. I'll throw you in several names on that. Pause at three hundred. Giovanni Jesus at 250, Nicosi at 240. These are base numbers. Ebon at 150. You know, th these are all guys, Junk at 85, Seek at 85. These are guys that are all big time contributors that get paid significantly less than guys, some of whom they start in front of. You know, for me, Nicosi's a lock starter and he's 
$500,000 left in Martinez. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I think Evan and Facundo are dead even. One of them's on 800, one of them's on 130. You know what I mean? So it's like. What's Allen on? Allen is over like a million four, you know, a million. Yeah, a million One, two with two a million face. four comp. Yeah. You know, that, that's appropriate for what you pay to get him. You know, that's. Is fine. it appropriate for what you're getting out of him in terms of production? Yeah, I think so. Okay. He's a game changing player. Like when he went out, that's when the team fell apart a month ago, right? You know, he's the first good free kick taker they've had in since Jason Christ left. So, you know, there's 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 some that number is perfectly in line with his stature in the team and how much you pay to get him. Yep. It's fine. I always find those uh, releases fascin- uh, fascinating, and I always assume that the players. I'm I'm going to guess the players hate it by and large. It depends. Some of them might like it because the, you know then their agent can point at those numbers and go, "Look, you know, the players get." the supporting of them, you know, I, hmm. they, it, I do know for fact, for a hundred percent fact that it causes every year, it causes rumbles in the locker room when some of these numbers come out. But the, I think that because they do it all the time and every, I think all the unions do it, there must be like a bigger, big picture value that they absolutely 100% is there for them as a collective to do it. You know, that's that's my assumption. I you know obviously I'm not a part of the PA, but um, it must be good for them as a big macro level. Well, it's been a solid week for the burn as they got two wins, find themselves in third place, and it leads into another Texas Derby against the hated Dynamo. Everybody oh, gets there's this. only one Texas Derby. What what? It's only one Texas Derby. Oh, that's right. The Beef and Broccoli Bowl is the other one. I yeah. apologize. Yeah. yeah. All right. This is the only Texas Derby. Uh, so it is shaping up to be a good week. I will say I was uh, I got a little giddy inside when I heard uh, Kobe and who was Kobe doing the game with last night? I can't remember. It's an obvious. It's a regular. Anyway, they were talking about what a beautiful night it was last night up in Frisco and the fact that before the game they went down on the field and it was like a, a, a pool table top. The field was in such nice condition and that got me a little excited because next Wednesday is the media game. Mm. And we get to go play on the field. I'm assuming that's where they're going to play it. I hope it is. Uh, that'll be fantastic. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, enjoy that. That'll be fun for you. It, uh, yes. Uh, Dan, are you going to play in it? <laughs> yeah. All right. I think I'm yeah, looking forward to it. Hopefully, when I think, do my Achilles again. Oh, no. Oh, don't do that. You didn't, do, you didn't injure it in the last one, did you? Oh, I That's missed not- the last one because I'd injured it in the ah. supporters game on the field a few weeks before it. Ah, right, right. Exactly. All right. So I have one last salary question for you. Oh, okay. You think Hector Herrera is worth five million a year? I don't know because I haven't watched Houston uh, essentially since he joined the team and I have no idea how well he is or is not playing. He he's playing a whole lot better. I don't know if it's worth five million. <laughs> I'm not sure he'll be worth five million over the course of his MLS career. Yeah. Well, is there any? Uh, so take any of the big player salaries that you see on the list, and and by big I mean somebody making five million, seven, eight, nine, whatever the number is. Are any of them playing to that expectation in your mind? Like um, Shakiri's not make playing anywhere near what he should be for the amount of money that Chicago's paying him. Yeah, uh, Carlos Gil, Mukhtar. How much is he getting? Mukhtar's on 2.9 base. You know, he's oh, league MVP. Carlos okay. Bell's on three. 
Charles Gilles on 3.2 base. See, I think those guys are overplaying the amount of money they're making. I'm yeah. talking about these guys that are on five plus. Is anybody mm. making playing their worth? Uh, the two no. guys in Toronto no. aren't. The top, the top guys. Um, yeah, Douglas Costa's not. No, Drusy was, but he's hurt. Okay, you know. Okay, well, how much is yeah. he making? Uh, let's see. His base is three point eight six million with bonuses. Yeah, I mean, Insagi in Toronto, no Shakiri, no Chicharito. Your miles may vary. I mean, I think my point is, is that it's nice to brag that your team's willing to spend that kind of money, but more often than not in this league, the guys that are making that ridiculous coin are absolute crap on the field. It's the ones that like six or seven that are a miss. The guys that are three, though, I can, most of those I feel pretty comfortable about. Of course, the one the Dallas had was horrible, but, you know, in those, I mean, uh, Altador on three is dumb, but, you know, Rui Diaz, Nicholas Ladero, you know, Mukhtar, Vea. Pizarro, I mean, those guys are on three. Those are all fine to me. Yeah, guys, guys like Zellerian really in that nice sweet spot of this is an actual MLS DP and not this is a sideshow yeah. attraction. Chucho yeah. and Columbus, Chucho Hernandez, phenomenal player, you know. Yeah, I, just for this league, that three, that three number, three and a half, it yeah. feels like a sweet spot to me where you're, yeah. you've got a lot of money invested and you can expect a lot out of it. I think it's when you get you start to eclipse and get into the five plus that you're just like, yeah, guys yeah. wasting your time. LA's Bianca is t- two. I mean, there's Tiago Almeida, uh, Almada, one six fifty in uh, in Atlanta. <laughs> Some of the goals he scored this season have been insane. Yeah, no, I, they should be paying him that per game the way he's playing this season. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, ridiculous. Well, good stuff. Uh, also, by the way, the big news this week, uh, uh, MLS has announced San Diego officially. Mm. The idea that uh, whatever that dude's name is, has paid a half a billion dollars, which is more than Saudi Arabia paid for Newcastle buzz, is yeah. just the most ridiculous thing. It's just so stupid. And I've said I, I, I will I will uh, share this story. So back in the mid to late 90s, the radio business began to undergo consolidation where I mean, historically, in any given radio market, at the most, one or two radio stations were owned by one company, like an AM and an FM. And maybe there were a couple of AMs and an FM all mixed in a small group. But that got derelegated, uh, uh, regulated, and larger companies were able to buy these smaller companies and suck up these radio stations. Well, in the late 90s, this was happening at an incredible pace, and companies were spending insane multiples of cash flow for these radio stations and back then we all knew we all knew that they were overpaying by an insane amount of money and this was not going to end well and it didn't and that's the same vibe i have right now when i see these mls franchises going for a half billion like i thought 300 million for charlotte was stupid a half billion is just pure idiocy and i have no idea how this ever works out well for those people well, it's a you know pro rail not being here increases the value dramatically of MLS franchises. Sure, a lot less risk. The other side is that these guys are making long term plays, right? They're, this league has continued to successfully grow. They're they're watching the league AMX you know conglomeration happening. There's only going to be after this team. I, it looks like there's two more spots, and then they're going to be done. 
You know, so it's like you're running out of chances to get one of these teams if you want one. So the price is going to keep going up for the next two after this one because that's going to be it, supply and demand. You know, so that's why you're getting these numbers. And these guys are making bets, not th- this is a bet like Jones buying the Cowboys for 180 million and now it's worth 8 billion. These are the kind of bets they're making. These are 50 year bets, you know, net, generational yeah. bets. So that's they're playing in a different pool than you are. Yeah, well, I get it. But, you know, um, all those radio companies were playing that same bet back in the 90s yeah. that they were overpaying for these radio stations and, and having them all under one roof was going to be the right play. And man, it just blew up in their face. And I, I also, I don't know if either one of you uh, knew this, but we had Kent Teague, the guy that li- that is a Duncanville High School graduate, lives in the area, and is the owner of Leighton Orient, which just yep. got prom- you know one late was two. Yeah, and that was great. Was he was he not the coolest? He was cool. Yeah. He was great, and in the fact that he uh, tried to buy an MLS club and is still interested in buying an MLS club, I thought was an interesting take. He just says their valuation is way off of my valuation. Yeah, remember, Peter, that um, this guy's Egyptian and the Apple TV thing opens up the whole world in a lot of ways, right? So I think people are seeing a even greater than U.S. value. Like, you know, the United States, this league is already moving, you know, easily into the top 10 leagues in the world. You know, where it fits in that paradigm depends on whether you care only about playing on the field or care about economics. Right. You know, there's a reason why there's like 70 clubs coming here to play games this summer, right? This is the giant untapped market. Right. MLS is doing what it's doing with only the barest market share here in the United States, you know, and the old Apple thing opens it up to the world. So I think people are looking at, again, they're looking at, of course, as your guy just said, his valuation was different. But yeah. Okay. If you value it different, that's cool. You know, this other guy obviously did not. So that's the thing, right? Something's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations to the hunts as I'm sure some of that money will figure out its way into their pocket or at least to their bank account. Um, and when they bought this thing way low at the, <laughs> their dad <laughs> bought way low, <laughs> very, very, very low. They ended up with Dallas just by over, just taking on some of the debt the team had back at the, yep. back in the aughts. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Uh, looking forward to the game this weekend. Anything else we need to cover? Yeah. I got one more thing, Peter, and I think you can contribute a lot to this one. And I think I have a lot to say about it too. And maybe Dan might as well. Um, is that's the Apple one month trial. A free trial thing ah, yeah. because there was a lot of people that immediately said lol mls is dead when they saw that thing and i think you and i probably have different takes on what that means and why things like that happen do you want to take a run yeah, some of that? no go you ahead. go ahead go first all right so the, the first thing that pops in my mind is that of course at the beginning of any kind of new thing you get free runs of it right i get from all the various services i have you know systems i get free like a week of hbo free or i get Sunday ticket, a couple like might have a free weekend or, you know, and these are some of the biggest players in the world that are doing some of these kinds of things, right? A free one at the beginning of some service, a free month is not surprising. You know, the reason why it's now and not the first month is because this was a brand new product. This is my opinion. This is a brand new product from people that didn't really know that they had all their ducks in the row when the season started. So it's not surprising to me that they waited for two months to feel like they got a lot of the kinks ironed out before they rolled out this free preview. And whether or not you think this is like the the numbers are not there or whatever, I would also remind people that one of the biggest reasons to do this unified deal is what, in a business term, I would call economies of scale, which is that you're bringing all these things under one under one umbrella and saving money. And the most specific and most important part of that 
was the idea that they were going to build a centralized facility like the USL does and do all their games out of one centralized facility. That takes at least a year, maybe two years to do. So the real money-saving and money-making economy of this deal won't even kick in till a couple of years into the deal. So decisions aren't going to be made about the long-term legitimacy of this package and whether it's viable and whether it's going to work on season one, certainly not the first month of season one. This is a long-term play. It's a long-term package. You're not going to really find out how the economies are going to work until you get into maybe season three when you have that facility and that revenue, that cost control structure in place. It happened so late this year that a lot of the deals for crews and trucks and equipment were all last minute, not good deals. They were just thrown together because you had to do it. You know, when you're going to talk about bigger, better deals down the line, that between now and the facility being finished, you'll get some more economies of scales there too. So those are my takes on, on, on the MLS TV free month offer is that A, these things happen all the time and B, it's not a panic kind of thing. It's, you know, the real idea is something that's still two years away. Dan, you got any thoughts? I I uh, I 100% agree with Buzz. I think everybody wanted to jump on and and label this as some sort of red flag indicator that things aren't going well. I think this was probably planned out in advance because the product was so unknown and so new and first impressions are so valuable that the idea that you were going to give everybody an opportunity to, you know, watch it for a month and and it be a disaster. Uh, was just too risky. So waiting makes sense. I, the other thing that I would throw in that uh, on top of what Buzz says is that the smart play in this is by waiting until this point and making the free month of available till the end of the season now suddenly gives uh, a month free available to people who may want to watch uh, the League's Cup in July because that'll yeah. be part of the package. So, um, you know, if you're interested in that, especially if uh, you're somewhere not in the United States and you want to watch, you know, MLS and Liga MX teams kick each other in the butt for a month, that's going to be your opportunity to do it for free. So um, I'm not, look at the, I've said this a, a thousand times, Apple as a company could buy MLS as a league in its entirety with the money it can find in its couch cushions <laughs> in Tim Cook's uh, 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 Tim Cook's office. Yeah, uh, it, this isn't this is not a concern for them financially. It's a rounding error, um, and this is one hundred percent an experiment for Apple. This is a, a, a playground for them to try to figure out how they make this work so they can go chase bigger and better things. Uh, and it's a it's a lifeline for MLS. Um, and the fact that we don't have to stare down and look at ratings is a good thing. We, we're all frustrated that we don't know what the numbers are, right? Yeah. But it's a bonus to everybody else that's related to this. Um, and so I think everybody is a little too quick on the take to be, you know, waving red flags and predicting doom and gloom. Yeah, I think you can cannot undersell the idea that because of the relative cost of this compared to other sports, that this by Apple is almost like a show off, like a demo. Like, give us we're gonna get a year or two into this. And I'm telling you, the people I know in this business have told me flat out that the other leagues are all watching this. Not just yes. in America, around the world. Yes. Oh, some of this is a show off by Apple. Look what we could do for you. If you get in bed with us, we could do this, but at your money level, you know what I mean? And at your client level, because the logistics are there, logistics work, and the logistics are functional, and you can get in bed with us and go worldwide with your product. 
uh, the pros, obviously, video quality, the feature oh. of being able to do the synced audio of the home game, and especially when they're able to add both the home and away club so that you can listen to your, your local coverage, I think is a huge feature benefit. Uh, and now, today, apparently, they announced that at least on the 4K Apple TV box, you'll be able to watch four games at the same time. Like, not picture in picture, but picture in picture in picture in picture, all at the same time. So the, all those games that are streaming live at the same time, you'll be able to do that, specifically and only on the 4K version of the Apple TV box. And I'll, it'll be interesting to see if they add it to other things. Man, they're going to bring it to my smart TV. I'm going to be mad. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I, it's a, there's a power issue. You know, that's a computing yeah, power fair. thing at that fair. point that maybe smart TVs can't pull off on themselves. But my point being is these are all things that they're trying that makes this a valuable deal. Now, the cons, I do think there is an open and interesting conversation to be had about the vibe that outside of the hardcore MLS fan, the awareness level of what's going on in the league feels really off compared to any other season because I don't think people are watching the league at all uh, in the same numbers as previous seasons when the games aren't available the way they used to be. So, yeah. I, you know, I, those things will all balance themselves out. But to your point, Buzz, if you are uh, whatever league and you're looking for another partner coming up uh, on the heels of this Bally stuff and things like that going on, uh, the, the idea of hooking up with Apple with all these features and benefits is probably looking pretty good. Yeah, there's a there's a there's the rest of the landscape of regional sports networks is just an absolute disaster of a sinking ship, uh, you know. And, and knowing what I know about uh, these kinds of things, I feel so much better about the MLS position with this Apple TV deal deal than I did. I mean, think about how for twenty what was it seven six years FC Dallas, maybe it's twenty seven years, never had a deal that gave them money. It was always at best a break-even swap of inventory. In worst-case scenarios, they were paying through the nose for their TV deal. This is the first time they've ever had one that gave them money. And that's so much better and so much more stable with a company like Apple TV than the mm -hmm. sinking ship that was Bally's, you know, Stadium Sinclair, whoever you want to call that company. Dino is what the actual subsidiary was called. You know, it's uh, yeah. FC Dallas for sure is way better off now. Ooh. I bet you every team, maybe two or three, is way better off now in this league. You know, it ain't it ain't the NHL. It ain't yet. Not totally as close. It ain't anywhere near the other ones. So they should be happy and excited, I think, to be doing what they're doing. Very good. Uh, like many things with this league, uh, very much to be determined. But so far, uh, there are some clear pros and cons to it. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, that's a lot. The MLS Academy season is winding down, so sometime soon we'll have our I'll have my summer um, homegrown watch list update sometime soon. So stay tuned for that. Third Degree the Podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com, the place for all your FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, and international club gear. They got everything you can want. A bunch of new FC Dallas arrivals, the pre-match pride tops, the one parlanet parlay jersey, which is the Adidas recycle jersey. Third Degree listeners get 20% off everything in the store, including all that awesome stuff. Some exclusions do apply, but almost everything in the store, all that awesome stuff. Soccer90.com, code thirddegree at checkout. Dan, when we do this next time, will you know the fate of Luton Town's promotion situation? No. Uh, playoff final is the 27th. Oh, not till the 27th. All right. Wow, it's a little ways off. I thought it was this weekend. All right. Well, very good. Well, uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. As always. And uh, Buzz, good stuff. Oh, thank you, sir. And thank you for hosting.
yes as always and uh, thank you FC Dallas Curious fan for listening we will be back next week on another episode of Freshly Squeezed Orange on Third Degree the podcast Jesus is back Third Degree the Third Degree Nair podcast 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 Thank you.